The torpedo has been deployed, aimed at the ship. We are ready. <laughs> the are these going to just get worse? Are they gonna yes. like you you moved on from like blast off to some weird torpedo thing? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they they are gonna get worse. <laughs> oh that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty cool. Oh. What else is cool? The Wall Street Journal has just like overdosed on their own fucking drugs. Yeah, you know, it's it's really great to hear um that they've adopted the People's Republic of China's position on big business. <laughs> In that it is communist to have billion dollar companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. I mean, it starts, <laughs> it starts with this. The woke left turn of much of corporate America has us thinking about a long ago journal headline, Down with Big Business. That header atop a 1979 editorial came in a decade like this one when prominent companies were accommodating an aggressive expansion of government to political applause. It doesn't get better from there. <laughs> this, yeah. Because apparently the problem with modern American capitalism is not, you know, any of its fundamental tendencies to um, devour and pillage everything it possibly can get its greasy paws on. It's that the CEOs have fucked up and they have failed capitalism. Yeah. 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 No, um, it's the problem with big businesses is that they indeed see a larger picture and try to, you know, attach themselves to like the majority political opinions and movements you know, they try to uh, get their get the consumer class to not hate them. But with small local businesses, they can, like, be as racist as they want, and no one will know. So this yeah, is why we just... need to eliminate big business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Racism factory's output is being left on the dock, and you know that's just that's not acceptable in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I love about this one is this was like a product of the entire editorial board. This wasn't one particular shitlib or like market like high priest who spat this shit out this was like the shared wisdom of uh, the grand hierarchs of american capitalism and this is the best shit they could come up with and that uh, not only is it really patently bad they actually put in this whole formulation of capitalism as it seems to be functioning right now is bad for free markets yeah. Because it's like, 
You see, they have strayed from the true religion. And the true religion is the free market. It's not like Adam Smith or Proudhon didn't make this exact observation. Yeah, we have... This is a unique circumstance in history in which big business have suppressed competition. This is, you know, this is a really unprecedented era where larger Mm -hmm. firms are out-competing smaller firms. So we need extraordinary measures. (sighs) That's why my new book, (laughs) Silenced, is coming out tomorrow um, to a bookseller near you. Yeah. (laughs) Published by Murdoch Industries. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Look... The Koch Foundation grant can't spend itself. It sure can't. No, it can't. Look, I've, I've just been getting checks from the Cato Institute this entire time. Like, we were just trying to lure you in, but now we, we've come to give you the blessing of the free market fairy. Mm-hmm. For real this time. Yes. Yeah. You will snort and the prosperity gospel here. we have divined it it is foreseen yeah pretty much and we're here to tell you that's bullshit at Bob Chop (laughs) Economics we read this shit so you don't have to pluggables and we have all of our hosts it's me HQ I'm Miss Silver. I'm your lovely host, St. Helen. I'm Dr. Spider. Mm. Fucking click that Patreon patron button. Make money. Money. (laughs) What we're asking here is for you to put your money in a jar and throw it through our windows. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the the money that makes it possible for almost for almost all of us to have actual audio equipment. <laughs> I just it's... got a new job, guys. I did not have money <laughs> for a microphone without the Patreon. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to support what we do, uh, toss a survivor on patreon.com slash chop shop economics hell yeah Uh, we release bonus episodes whenever we get around to it and some of them are quite good so sign up please so we can have like we can finish getting everyone the audio equipment that we need and maybe someday also therapy for coping with staring into the swirling abyss that is capitalism and the chanting monks of the wall street journal yes yes with that said i am never gonna be able to wash this stuff out of my brain (laughs) yeah no amount of bleach with that said how about with therapy get on to the show (laughs) yes let's get on to the show
We've got economic news, guys. The economy keeps happening no matter how hard we try to stop it. Look, have you have you tried have we tried um turning it off and turning it back turning it back on again? Actually, it's not yes. a router. <laughs> we have. And turning it back on is turning out to be really bad. The um well, I mean the reopening it's is to be really good for some. The reopening is like creating a recovery technically uh in Britain. Yeah. Um and they're they're And also to an extent in the US. Yeah. I mean, the US we honestly we didn't get hit as hard by the close by the shutdown as Britain did because they had Brexit on top of it. Um it's pretty hilarious their gdp dropped by like 10 percent um yeah. and it's not really expected to recover more than four percent um california is opening in june british pubs are opening now it's pretty um horrifying i'd say i mean like the recovery is happening technically um so people having jobs and money is good, I guess. What do you guys think? <laughs> well, like, it fits with all the models about waves in COVID that the CDC and everybody else was putting out when this started, like, over a year ago at this point. And part of the projections that there would be waves is because as infection numbers dropped... Um, people would get confident that circumstances were safe and then would relax a bit and then that would cause a new spike and, you know, up and down and up and down, which, you know, happened in South Korea and Japan and China and France and Italy and basically everywhere except the U.S. because we never really, like, went down significantly. It just is an increasingly bigger wave. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, there were, like, a few pauses, basically. But nothing, you know, nothing whenever, to stop it. <laughs> and whenever those, like, pauses, like, those actual, like, you know, rebounds were happening, it's usually because people were then going back out to the pubs and the beer houses and stuff like that and spending their money. And you saw, like, an uptick in economic activity because the hospitality industry is doing its thing again. And all these other like related like downstream industries are benefiting from that so yeah there's money being spent number is going up in the most huh? basic sense of the word yes yes plague number is going up I I'm glad I'm glad we can all agree on this yeah I mean it's very frustrating disturbing I mean, there is there is obviously recovery going on. Like, let's not let's not get it twisted here. It's just it isn't enough. Um, I don't. We're not back to normal. I don't think we'll be back to normal in quite a while. And I think the major issue that like we're seeing right now is that. Um, one of the things that's been talked about a lot with uh, COVID-19 is, uh, is like, long COVID, where after somebody gets COVID-19, they deal with, like, 
major, like, you know, uh, symptoms and end up being, like, disabled in one form or another. And, like, if we're looking at the numbers right now, um, most, like, uh, in terms of, like, the plague numbers of, like, the age groups that are getting it, most of them are younger right now. Like, you have to understand for, like, the labor force, in order to keep a, a, like, a labor force, you know, an economy running, you need a labor force. You need, like, younger people, like, constantly going into the economy. But if these younger people are, like, if more and more younger people are catching COVID-19 and a larger, and, like, more and more people are getting, like, long COVID, where essentially they're becoming, like, disabled because the way that our infrastructure and our economy is set up is, like, structurally designed to fuck over disabled people like to not make it accessible for us like you're basic it basically means that there is this like you know the labor flow that keeps our that has kept our economy going for such a long time is gonna get tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and that is very bad yeah i mean at this point um California is attempting to reopen. They're trying for, like, June 15th, apparently. Um, no, they're not ending the mask mandate, so, you know, those of you who still don't go outside because the mask makes you claustrophobic, that would be me. Um, yeah, you're still fucked. <laughs> but, go on. Oh, and it's like, this is, like, you can see there's a certain desperation to all of what's happening with this, because there's basically people, like, there is a bit of almost a bubble that's going on around reopening, um, and that's also probably why Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, is warning that reopening too fast could cause a spike in COVID. Well, no shit. And that would be bad for the economy. Also, no shit. Um, <laughs> because what we're seeing right now is people who have had money either as essential workers or as um, remote workers have had money that was previously spent on consumption, like going out to restaurants or movies or whatever that was being salted away or paying down debt or doing something else for the duration. And now they have cash to spend and they're spending it. And when I'm saying they're spending it, I mean, like I work in like the tour, a tourist trappy part of Fisherman's Wharf and we've had people coming in from all over who aren't just like coming in and buying the like definitely not cheap seafood they're like going fuck it i've never had crab before i'm getting a whole crab okay i am too like shit that's really just almost like bacchanalian excess yeah i do like whole crabs though we'll just say. just coincidentally you're oh, yeah. making a good choice i'm, just, I'm going to it is a good choice <laughs> just just oh no i'm not disagreeing at just all coincidentally that's <laughs> a good choice we have the band from the titanic playing on chop shop economics today yeah, <laughs> I have to say the music they're playing very tasteful. You cannot disagree with that. <laughs> uh, 
that seems to be what's going on with this. And that's probably also why Powell's freaked is because he knows that, you know, a serious surge in COVID numbers means this all stops. And particularly the tourist economy needs summer at normal spending levels to survive. Like, straight up, incurably, like, you're required. A bad summer season will basically kill anything related to hospitality in the U.S. So, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's very much, at this point, it's do or die. Like, a lot of places have managed to hang on by the skin of their teeth waiting for, you know, spring and summer to give them the lift they need. And if it's not enough, or if everything goes into lockdown, or riot season spreads too far, then a lot of people are fucked. Because a lot of business owners are completely fucked. Yeah. And I think it's important to consider that this is all their fault because they didn't lock down hard enough. Like, I, there's so, like, we've said this a million times, but, like, you can't half-ass a lockdown. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't half-ass a quarantine. Like, when you half-ass a quarantine, everyone gets sick anyways, but now you've just, like, impeded people's movement for no reason. Yeah. Which is why I mean, you're which is why much. they keep pulling out all of these like stats like comparing states that like had or places that like had no quarantine or lockdown compared to like certain places like a lot of the US where they had like the half ass lockdown where it's like yes, go to work. Yes, go to the bar. Yes, do all of this bullshit. But I swear to God, if three people hang out in your backyard for a barbecue, we will raid your house. You know, like, like they didn't bring. And you will all be summarily executed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Britain took it to just, you know, the masterclass level of going, not only do we want you to go out in pubs, we are going to give you 10 quid off of an entree if you sit and eat it in the pub. Yeah, and so they're comparing stats of places. Yeah, and so when you compare that to Sweden, of course they're doing as bad as Sweden, you know? Like, (laughs) but you know who isn't doing as bad as Sweden? South Korea, you know? (laughs) Like, well, but what's fucked about the American lockdown is even the Tories knew that you should pay people to half-ass this thing. Yeah. Even the Tories understood that. That you need to, like, bribe people into breaking quarantine. (laughs) And you need to bribe people to stay in quarantine. Yeah. Like, you gotta lead the economy around by the nose or none of this works. Look, you simply have to understand that the carrot is now considered communism. Like, as simple as is. It's communism. We can't do carrots anymore because... You know, this is a moral hazard. Like, has anybody else been reading the Cato Institute pamphlets that they're sending us? Or is it just me? 
They stopped coming around to my house when the last door knocker showed up and said, would you like to hear the truth about free markets? And I started talking about dialectical materialism and his face sort of melted. Um, Yeah. Yeah, they actually don't show up to me in Miss Silver's places because um, we're an anarchist jurisdiction and uh, the city has burned down. Um, Yeah. Yeah, there's roving. It's like Mad Max here in Portland. So uh, Cato Institute cannot make it to our doors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, out here, um, you can. S- they have graciously cleared um, the schedule for artillery firing um, so that we can record, but. In a few hours, they're going to start shelling Hillsborough again. <laughs> yeah. Oh. This will be really funny when people are, like, archive binging. And uh, in, like, 2023, like, Hillsborough is actually shelled. Um. <laughs> or Hillsborough is shelling us. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm like just gonna step away from the loom of fate on that one. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna step further towards the loom of fate. <laughs> oh yeah! By the way, Bernie Madoff dropped dead. Aww, we should probably yeah. mention that. R.I.P. to a um, one. Died in prison. The only person to do so for anything remotely related to the 2008 financial crisis. Yeah. We don't talk about it very much here because, like, we don't share those kinds of brain worms. But back in the day, some of you old heads might remember how they, like, vilified this guy because he apparently... uh, He stole from charities, especially Israeli charities, apparently, uh, with his Ponzi scheme. And apparently that was, you know, more unacceptable than, like, wiping out, um, you know, everyone's home equity. Like, I don't know. Um, Getting a whole bunch of people foreclosed on. Like, this guy was the go-to guy during the 2008 crisis for when very justifiably angry people were like um why the hell are you not prosecuting any of these people and they'd be like we got made off we got this guy over here look see and some other dude working for bank for credit suisse yeah (laughs) like two people we got two people pay no attention to iceland who locked all of them up But if we locked up Jamie Dimon and Lloyd Blankfeld and all those other people, um, you know, the free market fairy might be displeased. Wait, here's my proposal. Next time, um, we don't lock up these executives. We would train them to be artillery shells. And when Hillsborough gets bombarded, they're the artillery shells. Yeah, yeah. We could do um, that. I can I can scale up a hell cannon for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like we are in Warhammer territory like, here. But for real, just a bit. Bernie Madoff, he what scammed a bunch of millionaires? Like, 
basically. That's like yeah. That's like so, like, not very bad. Like, <laughs> functionally, what he did was really not that different the from mo- what the, the, Bank the of theory. America and Wells Fargo did to the entire fucking mortgage economy and people's housing. Yeah, but it's he just did he went it after rich people. Yeah. And so it's like Exactly. And I checked some of the, like when I was reading like the article and stuff and it was like these charities that went bust because of him and it was like charities that like sent kid kids to like throw rocks at Palestinians. Like it's <laughs> it's like <"Mah."> Yeah. <laughs> I don't really Oh no, you know, like I'm not really crying tears. I'm just kind of like finding this out. I didn't quite know this, like back when all the stuff with Madoff was like happening beforehand. And now I'm kind of like, I mean, he's rich. Like I, I never liked him, but you know what? Like him seriously, like you know, shooting the kneecaps of the Israeli industrial like NGO complex for like and like causing like major damage to like their organizational capacity to affect things. Incredibly base. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I gotta give the guy props. He broke the rule of you don't bite the hand that feeds you when you work for the white gloves. He basically did some white tiger shit and fucked over a bunch of Wall Street assholes and got caught and did onto them what they do onto everyone else. Oh, yeah. So, you know, ah, salute to this guy. He was yeah. a real one. Yeah. God, I miss him already. <laughs> oh god, I, I'm a, you know like those like images where it's just like Ruth like like by um Ginsburg with um the guy with the actor who played Black Panther. Now I'm just imagining like for like Bernie Madoff with um <laughs> yeah Bernie Madoff, <laughs> Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> Uh, Jack Nicholson for some reason. Um. <laughs> the Killdozer guy. <laughs> yeah. It's time for you to join us. <laughs> well, that's the kind of mean smithery you can only get here at Chop Chop. You can know. <laughs> We're developing the finest memes on the internet. (sighs) Meanwhile, on Plague News... Yay. (laughs) This one's a really interesting one. Because the Supreme Court said, basically, that they can kind of just change how religion works in the country Mm -hmm. um they can change how state law works in the country without even like hearing opinions they just like (laughs) look at the file and make a statement and like make a judgment on it like that's really cool um yeah we're we're actually uh reforming the american legal code to have like ottoman style religious like cantons like um, there's going to be a different legal code for Christians, a different legal code for Jews, a different legal code for Muslims, and so on and so on. 
Also, it's yeah. not going to be like an actual like case with people arguing on both sides. It's going to be a file that arrives on their desk and then they just sign it. <laughs> like that's yeah, like one of the like is... the most nuts things about it too cuz like it's like a literal it's like according to like their own precedent that they can't do that. But they they're the ones who set new precedent. And there's no higher court, so they can just do whatever they want, honestly. Which is, I remember something people were really scared about in uh, Obama times, but the people were Republicans. <laughs> so it's like um, the case we're talking about is Tandon versus Newsom, um, where the Supreme Court basically decided that. On some really weird grounds that the COVID, basically, you're not allowed to have, like, Bible study in your own home because COVID. Um, And it's like, you know, on the one hand, on its face, that sounds, yeah, that sounds kind of reasonable to strike that down if you're allowed to have private gatherings in your home. But somehow I don't think that's actually how it works. And it relies on this very, very tortured reading of, like, the the previous case um, that, like, defined religious exemptions. It's very bizarre. It's basically like yeah. there's this like legal um, precedent they've been trying to the far right, like particularly evangelicals have been trying to like get into the legal code for like quite some time called the most favored nation legal theory, where it's basically kind of like um, basically what they're trying to do is carve a religious exemption to about any law. So, uh, I am part of the synagogue of the Molotov, like, cocktail now. Yeah. Oh, cool. Is that the one that lets you um, get out of paying the $200 fee for making Molotov cocktails? That That's the one where yeah. it's my, like, religious duty to throw a Molotov cocktail at every uh, her- her- heretical building I consider. Yeah. Well, okay, so, like, what this what this court case actually did is that, basically, they put it into law that, like, any time the government grants an exception to a law, it has an obligation to grant a religious exception, too. Yeah, basically, that if there is any kind of... Yeah, yeah, and so, um, it, it really is, like, a full-on, like... Basically, like, now there's Christian law and secular law type shit, you know? Like, it's, it's, it really is, like, a a radical reinterpretation of religious liberty that overturns basically every previous fucking decision that the Supreme Courts have made. (laughs) Yeah. There is a reason why I was joking about the Ottoman law code here. Yeah, like, if there is any way around a law, that then there has to be a religious way, too. Yeah. This really is reminding me how much it always kind of felt that the shouting about 
Sharia law by the Christian right in the United States always had this undercurrent of because we don't want any fucking competition. Well, oh yeah, yeah. They've they've honestly like what this is either going to do is uh, like states have now been like and judges in lower courts have now been presented with a choice to where you can't allow any kind of exemptions to laws. Or you have to allow just like any like anyone to get the exemption, basically, because you can just say you're part of the religion that is getting exempted, you know, or you're getting a religious exemption, you know, or you get some real like you know um, option number three shit of lower courts go that's fucking dumb. We are not complying with the Supreme Court on this one, which would be kind of interesting. Uh, sorry, that what, would be interesting. What What were you saying? I was in Shady Sands uh, writing the declaration for the um, the new California Republic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's just like. it's one of those things where like you could make a tortured argument like well if there's maternity leave there needs to be baptism leave you know like that's like the level at which they're changing the law like and like how the um the current take that the most favored nation guy made was actually we should just overturn smith um which was the previous case. And like, you know, the freaks, uh, like the law on this is a huge fucking mess. And, uh, well, to get it back to like the stuff that's more firmly in our ballpark on this is (laughs) there's, is something that's driven in part by a lot of money. Like, a lot of these, like, what's interesting about when you look at the situation with churches in California that led up to this lawsuit is there were probably, like, safely to say, a majority of denominations and parishes and stuff that were like, right, we don't want to kill our congregants. We're going to comply with the rules not to do all the things that cause COVID-19 to spread. And then the ones that were all like the mega churches were like throwing a fucking hissing, screaming fit because that's how they make their money. They need people to show up and drop cash in the collection plate every Sunday. That is their to be vulgar about it business model. Yeah, they need their um, cut of like the Starbucks money. They need everyone's 10% delivered weekly. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, this, the whole megachurch model doesn't really work outside of, like, a couple of, you know, hyper-exclusive exceptions. Unless, you know, you can actually put butts in seats. And right now, it's like, well, you can only have 75 people in a given hall space because, you know, COVID. We need to, like stop the spread and we just can't have you know a few thousand people piling into like you know some glorified stadium arena church thing a few thousand people doing things like shouting and singing and Mm -hmm. other things that 
actively spread the virus, by the way, which was part yeah. of what was in the original like quarantine orders in California was saying, look, you specifically like if you're going to do religious services, it has to be no more than X capacity, which is a really low capacity and was terrible for the mega churches. You absolutely cannot be doing things like choral singing because we have all this medical data that shows that's going to spread the virus it for lots of understandably obvious reasons and these are the things that were used as grounds for saying this is religious persecution yeah i mean it really didn't help that there was a new york case where they specifically singled out um, religious institutions without applying a corresponding um secular um restriction which was very irritating. The Supreme Court was right to slap that down, but that's not what's happening here. That's the thing. Yeah. So this is so that you can keep spreading COVID and keep running your church grift. And by the way, it wasn't just the mega churches; it's also the aspiring to be mega church pastors who are the ones that are like, you know, they're not at the stadium level, they're at the strip mall level. Yeah, I mean, look, all that, you know, Supreme swag... It doesn't pay for itself. <laughs> Instagram pastor life. I mean, that gets expensive. And if you don't have butts in seats, it's a lot harder to, you know, collect your Instagram pastor life money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. The thing that I really wonder here is just, like, you have, like, this, like, massive expansion on what, like, official religious groups within the United States can do it's just like, if I were in their position right now, my next target would be making it so, like, um, if I if I were, um, you know, an official religious group in this, uh, like, you know, like, some, I don't know, some evangelical church for the gospel of prosperity, uh, um, I, like, in the tax code, there are basically, you can't um, publicly uh, campaign for a candidate. Like, or, like, you know, stump on a certain, on, like, certain issues in an official capacity, like, usually have to do it by proxy, but, like, you know, if, if I were, you know, like, you know, a far-right evangelical church, that would be, like, the next thing I'd be, like, pushing for, because, like, then you basically can just do whatever you want. Well, that brings us yeah. to, as we're seeing <coughs> Sharia-ish, not really law happening in the U.S., to uh, corporate actors <coughs> completely wiping their ass with labor law. Oh, yeah. So, it turns out if you stuff the ballot box, Amazon workers lose. Yeah. Like, the... Yeah, we got fucked. We got rinsed. And, like, the thing is, like, Amazon here... It's like two to one against, right? Like, they pulled the most, like, Saturday morning cartoon-style shit, just completely being over the top and trying to fix the election in their favor. To the point, it's, like, in the long term, it's likely gonna fuck them over because it's obvious even to the shit libs. Didn't they get caught, like fucking with the timing of traffic lights yes. for the major commute routes to the warehouse. They pull out all of these stops. 
not to mention the illegal USPS Dropbox. Um, there were, um, let's call them election irregularities. Um, and put it that way. Um, the, uh, this is the kind of election irregularity that would get you bombed by the United States. Let's be real. Yeah, this is the kind of election yeah. irregularity that would have the CIA sponsor a coup in your country. Oh, yeah. This is, like, um, you know, Bolivia, um, Eva Morales shit. <laughs> <laughs> like. Except Eva won legit. Yeah, he won legit. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, and... no, this was, yeah, Amazon wiped their ass with processing this. They even hired the Pinkertons, I think. Um... Yeah, no, they, they uh, literally hired the Pinkertons. Um, Pinkertons are now, uh. They don't do the, like, <coughs> thug work anymore. They just do um, uh, detective stuff now, though. So they're, like, surveilling people. Mm-hmm. Being creepy and standing outside their window and shit, you know. And didn't they also, like, have, like, yeah. police, like, go into um, the warehouse and, like, literally harass workers there? Oh, yeah. They, like, this was some straight up, like... They did not give any amount of fucks to, like, I mean, legally, the union could appeal this and has really, really good grounds to do so because Amazon, Mm -hmm. like, abused the entire what flimsy safeguards exist under American law like nobody's business. Um, So, like, legally, yeah, there could be a new vote, but it's, you know, the damage is done these guys like really just pulled out all the stops yeah and i mean what the what the fuck are you supposed to do with that i mean i mean well you know amazon's gonna replace every single one of them within six months doesn't matter how they voted they can't shut down the facility. They can't pull a Starbucks or a Walmart. So instead, they'll just find excuses to fire everyone Look, and replace the workforce within six months. Here, here's the thing is that if you are unionizing and like your bosses aren't are pulling out all the stops to prevent you from legally or like unionizing, like just doing everything possible, like they are breaking the social fabric you know, going beyond the law. We've done this for a long time. Like, you know, their repressiosity is deserved here. Like, what is what is the ethical thing to do? It's not always the ethical thing. It's not always the legal thing to do. Like, when, you, when you're dealing with, you know, a, a big company like Amazon, like, you know, they're going to pull out all these stops. So, like, it's important that, you know, you know, like the work that like we the workers pull out all the stops because like the other side doesn't give a shit about us and like you know we shouldn't have one hand tied behind our goddamn fucking backs. If mm-hmm. I remember right, it's a common expression in the labor movement that there's no such thing as an illegal strike, just an unsuccessful yeah. one. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I mean like what we see here is like um there is, like, the other hand to this. And, like, that is, like, in St. Paul, uh, Minnesota, the National Guard comes in because, you know, 
Dante Wright, and they occupy a union hall. They occupied a union hall in St. Paul, and then the union members came up and kicked them out. Like, like that is our goddamn fucking power right there. Like, that is yeah. what we need to be doing. Because if we do that again and again and again and again, then we will goddamn fucking win. We will have goddamn fucking solidarity forever. Uh, and that seems like it could be happening in the streets of America anyway, as we shift back to Minnesota again with Dante Wright and the trial of Derek Chauvin. It looks like the American riot season has already started. Woo! Oh, yeah. Tov! And, you know, like, before we really get into this one, like, what... What do we mean when we say riot season? Because uh, I think a lot of listeners, if you aren't from, like, you know, the Middle East, probably aren't familiar with that expression. Um, well, basically, much like a bear, rioters go into uh, a long sleep called hibernation during the winter months. Um <laughs> Well, it, it's it's actually largely, I think, connected to the same reasons that uh, ancient warfare was uh, aligned <coughs> with the seasons, too. Um, basically, it takes more work to survive in winter. Yes. <laughs> and going out and protesting or rioting takes a lot of effort and so yeah. in the winter it's usually and this is a thing that like a lot of like not extremely poor people will understand who are like <laughs> in the united states it, winter is usually the time when you're the most poor as a poor person where you cannot find hours for work where you have to spend more for heating where you have to spend more for food because you need more calories to keep going in the heat. I mean, in the cold. And, like, a lot of things like that where it's, um, you know, you have to send your kid out on stuff, like, because they're in school. Um, if you work any job that depends on tips, your tips are probably going to be in the toilet. Yeah, and then there's gift-giving season, at the end of December, which you blow through all your savings, getting people gifts. So, yeah. and then in spring, you get your tax refund. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, traditionally we didn't used to have a riot season, is the thing. That's... Partly why we're unfamiliar with the concept. Um, like there were a couple have... years in the 1960s. Like 1964 and 65 and 68 where something approximating an American riot season happened. And you could say, but that was only like, you know, individual years where there was just 
really intense urban rioting, largely around like stuff related to the civil rights movement intersecting with everything else. Um, but those were like isolated instances. Like the U S historically has never had a riot season situation, like not even during the great depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it probably would have started happening if like, you know, a Hooverite had stayed in power. Um, or if, you know, FDR had completely dropped the ball, but it's, yeah, it's um, not quite out of living memory, but close enough. And so it's it's gratifying to see that we have one now. It's just, you know, ours is early. <laughs> and when we're talking riot season, what we're meaning is like, you know, what was normal in Egypt and Qatar and... Uh, some other chunks of the Middle East and North Africa where a lack of action by the government and the Egypt uh, two-part special gets into this and a lot more led to social conditions where basically every like spring to summer when things are starting to get hot and warm and people have more work, there's just large-scale riots usually because of things like cuts to food subsidies or like housing being too expensive or any number of things and it just was a thing <laughs> and it kind of represents a, a real kind of breakdown of the control of the state yeah exactly I... it's what we're seeing here is just like this is like a topic we've covered a lot um like, the riots and the protests and stuff here in America. It's just interesting to see um, how quick we got back at it as soon as the sun came out and people started getting money again. It's like... (laughs) We thought it would take at least until the end of Derek Chauvin's trial. Yeah, but um, people are still really pissed and ready to get out there. And it's a good indicator of the level of just absolute anger in this country to where, like, we start off this year, this year's riot season in April, and already there's, like, actual arsons, you know? (laughs) Like, yeah, like the police union headquarters in Portland got set on fire ice in portland got set on fire Uh, a bunch of police vehicles were destroyed in portland it's it's really like and then there's all this stuff happening in minnesota too and it's like last year when we were talking about how like after that police station got burnt down how um, the genie got let out of the bottle. This is what we mean. Once people knew that you could burn down a police station, that's not something that you can burn out of the memory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... We... We succeeded. And we succeeded in a way that, like, no one will be able to forget. And when that stupid fuck decided, okay, I'm... 
Uh, I'm gonna chase this guy. No way, I'm going to... Uh, I'm gonna gun him down because that's actually what my training is, is to just pull the fucking gun. Um, and, you know, just wasted a dude for the crime of simple possession or rather not paying for it or something about the license plates yeah i mean it's like just dumb it was the it was the most bullshit like traffic violation thing like like you wouldn't even like normal you wouldn't even like like uh, like white people in this country like if they get pulled over for that kind of thing get like told politely that like that that ha- that like their car has that problem and then they're like oh man i'll fix that when i get home thank you officer and the officer's like no thank you <laughs> and, and like, then they go and it wasn't even I a, mean, tr- a tr- yuppie white yeah. people let's be fair yuppie white people i've been like yeah. literally spread eagled yeah. against the hood of my car for only having one license but the thing plate is, like, on for, the vehicle um, and search for trucks for like what happened it wasn't even a traffic violation the guy literally had just gotten a new car from a dealership there is always legally a grace period like this is not like from like the standard just purely from the standards of the legal system like the cop like the cops you know were very the the cop woman who did this just did some really blandedly like illegal shit here like and i mean like and like we even should have judged by the framework of legality here but even on their own terms on their own goddamn system they fucked up yeah i mean it's like they killed him over, like, this really dumb, bureaucratic bullshit that nobody with half a brain should even care about. Like, this is... It, it doesn't even rise to a criminal violation. It's not that big a deal. It's like... It's nothing. It's nothing. You know where the guy lives... You have his license plate number? <sighs> yeah. It's so dumb. It's so fucking pointlessly dumb and cruel, and it's yeah. the way that it has always worked, and yeah, then, and now the cycle's already kicking off of there's been footage from Brooklyn Park of people demonstrating over this, and the cops showing up and fucking armored vehicles and shooting at them like not quite you know tiananmen square but we're inching in that direction already and it's like freaking april man like and she's like this put there's going to pe- people are going to come out over that and, yeah. and over dante right and then the cops are going to do that again so people are going to come out again like this pours gasoline on the fire here it's like this is a thing is like why, like, you know, why a lot, like, why so many, pol- like, so many police, like, forces in this country act like rabid dogs? It's like, you know, they, like, deal with, uh, like, they, they, you know, they be, vi- they be violent to people. They do all this horrific shit. Um, people obviously get pissed about it and protest in response. And then the police, like, crack down with more violence and more and more people come out. Like, it doesn't matter if, like, all the organi- 
all the like what all the most like militant organizers in one summer. It doesn't matter if you're in prison at all. Like when the because the police keep this dynamic up of just like you know of basically doing more and more violence in response to protests, they create new enemies. Like this is the the same counterinsurgency like fuck up that happened in Iraq and if. Afghanistan that is happening here. So yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> kicking off and coming to a town near you. I just love how no one calls them the Winklevosses. Just like people just like why would we call them the Winklevosses? They're the Winklevi. Like <laughs> So what we're talking about is those uh two fucking dweebs that Mark Zuckerberg cleaned out. Yeah, he absolutely um, dabbed on those has. Um And it's like if you've ever seen them posting, you'll understand why some nerd from Harvard just completely owns them. <laughs> uh, since then, they've gone all in on Bitcoin and yeah. NFTs and all the other fucking crypto bullshit, which seems to actually be... Oh, and the Winklevi thing? Yeah, that's on Forbes. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. Um, it's mostly... The thing that has to be remembered um, is they've been in this game for a very long time, and they are very determined, if nothing else, to not be the lag, uh, the last bag holder. Like that's pretty much their game here. They, if they're the last bag holder, then they've done something wrong. So it's in their interest to like build the whole you know cryptocurrency ecosystem with some you know with some careful investments i mean like they entered early enough that you know buying thousands and thousands of bitcoins that was actually pretty smart um but it's only pretty smart because they actually like decided okay we need to like build the ecosystem so that we can cash out and um the bag holders will be left with nothing um, and we can see that process happening with like the latest news of coinbase which oh yeah <laughs> one of the biggest crypto exchanges out there has just gone public they did their ipo and already by the way, the reference price for Coinbase on NASDAQ on April 14th, 2021 was $250, and the shares opened $381 a pop, valuing Coinbase at $99.6 billion. Normal amount of money. Like, you know, five times as much money as NASA gets in a year. For point of reference. And it should also be pointed out that, like, <laughs> oh, we, we didn't put it in the outline, but real quick, um, apparently Binance, which is, like, one of the other big free um, coin exchanges um, in the United States, 
They um, now sell tokens that are directly connected to stocks. Oh my god! You, you, I was literally thinking about this. I was thinking like, should I bring this up or not? It's not on the outline, but like, I was thinking about this because like, basically, what that means is that people can trade stocks at any time. This means that the market would never officially be closed. (sighs) This is also like. Yeah, this is, they're taking Bitcoin, they're taking crypto, they're doing all that shit, and now they're turning stocks into little currency, and they're finding new and interesting ways to basically spin money out of thin air. That's all Wall Street's got. (laughs) That's all they got, is more bubbles. (sighs) I'm just, I'm remembering... We're just gonna, like, shard out a new idea for the economy over here. Like... I'm just remembering watching the big short and like when there was a, like that whole like scene where they're talking about like the mortgage market uh, and like this whole like Jenga tower was um, being played around with and just more and more pieces were being like, po- you know, piled on top and then, and well taken out, then like piled on top and then sooner or later it just falls on the ground. Yeah. And it's just, Wow. Well, that gets us to something that's makes this not just like stupid Wall Street bullshit, but incredibly fucked for the climate. Oh god! Fuck. The yeah, you you you, you read it, please. Yeah, I, I think um, I might just spend the next five minutes screaming or something. They're turning okay. a coal plant into a Bitcoin mining plant. They're making yeah. it a they're making it a Bitcoin mining plant. New life for old coal. They, they somehow maybe. found a way to make they they somehow found a way to make a coal plant the thing worse that I, for I the hate climate. About this was like if I was you know an evil finance person who was gonna mine like Bitcoin, I would just get my own power plant and I would you know mine Bitcoin with it. And they're goddamn fuck sh- like actually fucking doing it. I hate it. Like, I keep my supervillain plans to myself, thank yeah. you. <sighs> I mean, I remember distinctly talking about how they need to, like, in order for institutionals to really invest in Bitcoin because of the nature of how Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general work, you have to have a stake in them. You have to be mining, otherwise... You know, any transactions involving you can be simply outvoted by a hostile mining pool that isn't yours. Um, it's a it's called fifty one percent attack. We'll cover it in the Bitcoin special when we get to doing it. But basically, the institutionals need to be mining in order for their Bitcoin to mean something, and that means bullshit schemes like this. This is this is preparation for that because they need those to be in the United States so that they can own the mining pool. The institutionals have to own a mining pool of their own. They can't just buy a Chinese one because of you know the way the Chinese. And I think I find like so works. ridiculous about this sort of shit about like basically restarting and like an old power plant of coal power plant to do this is that fundamentally a lot of power plants how they work is it's just 
you know, whether it's like nuclear or coal or you know, um, or like other stuff, uh, most of them work by basically, you know, like having a bunch of like, you know, pipes to like, in order to carry steam because you're heating up water with like the power that you're generating in order to turn a turbine and in order to make energy and then pumping out that energy to the rest of the power grid. But the thing that you have to realize is that one of the biggest uh, fault lines in like power plants, particularly old power plants that are like shittily run is the pipes themselves. Like you have to understand how corrosive it is to these pipes to have steam going in them all the time. Like, my grandfather modeled this shit when he was alive. Like, it was one of those things that, you know, he dabbled with. And it's just like, they break down all the goddamn fucking time. And when you they consider the profit, the, like, the profit motive of capitalism and the decline of the rate of profit over time, like, maintenance eventually consider, stops being considered a necessity and starts being considered a luxury. And sooner or later, just the pipes break, and you have hot steam everywhere, and suddenly the plant stops working. Yeah, because it's like, the math on this is basically, Bitcoin is around, um, let's call it 50,000. I, I don't care to look up the current number, but it was pretty close last I checked. Um The current halving rate means that every new block is generated every 10 minutes and then you've got 6.25 bitcoins so you know if your mining pool is the one to draw um then you get all 6.25 bitcoin which means that as long as you spend less than about oh 30 no three hundred thousand dollars on that 10 minutes worth of production, um, you make a profit and you make a substantial profit. Um, and somehow I doubt that like maintenance is being expressly factored into this because these plants are being retired for a reason. Not only are they, you know, like basically they're the energy they produce for like consumer and industrial use is useless um it's too it's too expensive for you know how much coal you have to shove into this thing like there's no it's not cost competitive anymore compared to even like natural gas but these these motherfuckers have found a way to make the equation work and the way they make this work is by basically fraud. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, and let's remember, Bitcoin consumes already, all Bitcoin production by itself consumes as much electricity as the entire country of Argentina. Um, yeah. So this is going to be a massive energy sink on... Yeah. Every single one of these stupid things, because the moment this works, you know that Wall Street, with its fuck God levels of money, is going to find other old coal plants to flip. And there's going to be the owners uh, or, you know, estate holders or what have you, depending on the situation, who are going to be like, fuck, yeah, I'll give this to you for pennies on the dollar. It gets me it off my fucking oh, books. Yeah. 
I mean, it's like, nobody wants these fucking plants because they are a fucking disaster. They are a liability. Most of these have already been immortized. It's... Why would you Is that there have been, like, certain, like, states in the United States that have been trying to, like, figure out the equation because, basically, they're coal cultists, and they keep trying to find some way in order to, uh... Uh, keep coal going because that has been sort of the economic and cultural basis of how like their state's economy has worked and they don't want to do anything else that actually works uh, and it's been a part of I mean, coal has been part of the culture war for a long time but like I guarantee you once like all of these like state legislators state legislatures like and like these different Republican parties like see this, they are gonna, like, you know, bend the knee to, like, the big butts, Bitcoin, and just have their entire state's, like, you know, power system, like, fed by coal, like, go into, like, keeping Bitcoin running. Yeah. And if not Bitcoin, it'll be something else. And this will be with an American power grid that's already massively overtaxed as is and tends to do things like start wildfires as we're going into what is now the worst drought on record for the Western United States. Yes, that was not like, you know, worst drought on record for California or Colorado or something. It was like, no, just like everything from the Rockies to the Pacific Coast. You know, which totally doesn't cause massive wildfires that can blot out the sun yeah and like i should remind people that just because most of these retired coal plants are in the northeast and you know um in the rust belt some of them are actually on the west coast (laughs) um and are being retired even more aggressively, except now somebody has figured out something to do with these fucking motherfucker. Yeah. And that gets us into some of the other fun shit capitalism's doing lately. Like... So all this shit with, and there seems to, and you can see there's a bit of a theme coming up here for the rest of this episode. Um, <laughs> this shit that's going on with Bitcoin now starting to become the hot thing along with the other cryptocurrencies and exchanges is this is having a lot of upstream consequences for electronics manufacturing that's starting to show up in some really odd and interesting ways. <laughs> Like, for a very removed one, um, and also thanks to COVID and other things, we have a growing broadband router shortage. <laughs> yeah, that, that those words in that order just were spoken. Um, internet service providers are reporting delays of up to a year before they can, like, actually get their broadband orders met. It's a little worse than that. 60 weeks, not 50 That's- Ooh. Fuck. Um. <laughs> so nobody's getting their router ever yeah. again. Um, okay, I'm, so- I'm happy I know this. Like, 
part of the problem is like standalone consumer routers there is still mostly supply it's like a lot of these companies want these you know combined doxis modems plus um wireless routers and those are getting scarce um the same for like the you know um dsl fiber um terminals that other uh, isps use like be the TLDR is like everyone is feeling the pinch because both the primary nodes that are being consumed with like CPU orders and such and the occasional, and yes, the occasional Bitcoin mine and the GPUs that are being diverted to like Monero and Ethereum instead of, you know, your gaming PC. Like, What's happening is like all of these primary orders and then the secondary orders that go to like, you know, older process nodes to like 200 millimeter facilities instead of the 300 ones, those are also getting pinched. Um, because like the SOCs, the systems on chip that um, a router needs like they're in the allocation queue like everyone else they are fucked too like that's that's how it comes down to and I should point out that Zixel um, who is a major supplier of a lot of these routers um, among other bits of cargo um that were stuck on the Ever Given, um, there is a shipment of Zixel routers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, um, you know, quick update, they um, have detained that ship because they did not pay the $900 million. Um, And so, you know, who the fuck knows when those routers will ever be seen by their customers. <laughs> Oh, I, just... I... <laughs> like this is why Biden is pitching like fifty billion dollars for the semiconductor industry because neoliberal yeah. globalized supply chains are completely fucking themselves, and we're getting growing stresses on very specific sectors that oh, yeah. aren't actually prepared for it. Like, it sounds very much like Intel is building up both its legacy and its new chip capacity. And they're also offering some of these lines to customers. Um, they Traditionally, they do not do that. Um, typically, most of their production goes to them and them alone. Um, they've, like, bought IP in the past... But they've never, like, actually fabbed anything for um, other vendors before. Not until now. And basically, so, yeah. between them and TSMC's that, expansion... I think that brings us pretty um, well, here, then, to our last word. It's like, who else are you going to go to? And so, Intel has realized, okay, yeah, maybe we need to start, like, building out capacity for, like, you know, things that or just us. Well, I think part of it, I think part of it too, is the calculus for the decision that Intel is making here is like AMD has been overtaking them 
Like, if, if Intel doesn't do something, it's going to be a dinosaur stored in, like, the closet of some museum somewhere. Oh, yeah. Like, they, um, they need to get their heads back in the game. They really need to start shipping 10 nanometer in quantity using their latest process. They also need to get as much legacy capacity online for their other stuff as soon as possible. And they, the, the math did not used to work out because like TSMC and, you know, SK Hynix and, um, you know, basically everyone else had like the capacity to handle the normal, um, semiconductor flows. That's not the case anymore. We are backlogged and we will be backlogged for like the foreseeable the thing, future. And then like so the thing is like, we, we have like these like logistical disruptions that like, you know, have started up because just in time, like supply logistics simply does not work. You know, it's been expected for quite some time that eventually sooner or later, there'd been a major disruption that things would fuck up and we're seeing the consequences. And yeah, it's great that Biden is finally, you know, pushing $50 billion to try to like onshore, like manufacturing and logistics for electronics industry here. But it, frankly, it's too late. Yeah, it's too little. Um, I don't know if it's too late, but it's certainly too little. Yeah, and I think that gets us pretty well to our <laughs> last one. Last one. <laughs> so, so, yeah, we're looking at all of this, all of these supply chain problems, all this unbelievable bitcoin stupidity and this and coinbase soaking up an absurd amount of money on their ipo which says wall street's going to be chasing those unicorns like nobody's business kind of says yeah bitcoin is definitely going to be the thing that's going to break this really fragile as fuck recovery yeah and if it's not going to be Bitcoin, it's going to be the whole cryptocurrency sector. Like, a lot of the weird shit that I talked about, like um, tokenizing securities, that stuff is enabled by Ethereum, um, which is, like, the other half of all this dumb cryptocurrency bullshit. And... Fuck. I just... Fuck. I it's, don't know what else to say. And it's it's built into the way this shit works. Bitcoin in particular has as an anti-inflationary measure this whole like thing where the amount of labor that it takes and the amount of processing power it takes to make new Bitcoin will always go up by a pretty consistent multiplier. Which also means the amount of equipment you need to mine Bitcoin will always increase. Yeah. With a, at a math at a geometric rate, not a nice neat arithmetic. Okay, things kind of steadily go up over time thing, but like literally like some straight up fucking hockey stick shit that looks actually a lot like the history of the oil industry, 
where producing more requires more money and more resources and more intensive operations that consume more energy and are more destructive and more like, fuck you, we're teabagging Captain Planet over here shit. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole Jevons paradox thing here. I mean, it's just massively fucked because the incentives require this. Like, there's no technical reason why you can't just run Bitcoin on a bunch of Raspberry Pis. Uh, well, I mean, memory aside, that that would be the big uh, problem. But, like, in principle, there's nothing to stop you from doing that. And that's what Ethereum is trying to transition to, but Bitcoin is, like, they are committed to proof of work. And that means that this problem will basically never be solved. Like, they're going to stick with this. Yeah. And with the state of how our economy and manufacturing is now, this is going to be, like, disruptions to uh, chip production and chip supply is going to impact pretty much everything. Yes. Just because you're not personally buying ant miners and you're not buying like huge 12 GPU farms so that you know you can shit out bit Ethereum tokens, like just because you're not doing that doesn't mean other people aren't. Um, and they will, they will absolutely run the either, you know our climate or themselves into the ground and you don't want to find out which one it's going to be. I mean, that's, that's the long and short of it. I think. Yeah. They will not stop because wall street will always find ways to make more money from this shit. Cause they're going in on it. Even though they know this is a goddamn dumb idea that they never should have done in the first place. They are now going heavy in on it because this is all they got they know the real economy in the u.s is acting a lot more like a bubble than anything actually functional and they've been doing nothing but making bubbles since the 70s to make their fat piles of cash so of course they're going to go in on this then of course they're going to have the money at some point to outbid the competition and get first in line consistently on production. Yeah. And once that happens, we can basically just, you know, kiss everything goodbye. I mean, unless, you know, the whole bubble, you know, implodes like the fucking Hindenburg that can happen too. That will probably happen, but not before you know, we've burned, you know, an extra, you know, trillion tons of carbon or what oh, what the fuck ever. Like, I, I don't even, I don't even know how much damage they're going to cause. I just know that they're going to fuck this up for us. Like, this yeah. could erase any benefits that came from the oil industry eating shit in 2020. By yeah, itself. and it's, I mean, it's like, ah, uh, there was one tweet that was like, um, that was basically like, at this point, Bitcoin has basically wiped out 
all the gains we got from converting to solar. It's consuming as much power as, like, our entire installed solar capacity. And that's, like, that's insane to me. That's just completely insane. But, like, let's let's say it goes in the bubble direction that we're suggesting here. It's probably going to be because, just like oil is now kind of popping with the carbon bubble... Bitcoin is going to hit that point where eventually somebody's got to stop and say, how the fuck are we going to actually redeem all these things? Yeah. At some point, someone, some probably bank, is going to be like, shit, we went a little long on these securities and it's going to actually cost more money to realize the value of these bitcoins then we can hope to get out of these securities someone's going to realize they fucked up someone's going to do the wall street thing and dump it and probably even find a way to securitize the debt yeah and like there is another thing coming which is ethereum is moving to proof of stake and what that's gonna mean in like lay people's terms is like you no longer need the huge gpu farms you can basically secure your stake as long as you have a stake in ethereum you can secure that with just like a raspberry pi um or you know a simple desktop machine you don't need like a massive power plant to feed all of these you know you don't need like thousands and thousands of GPUs securing your stake. You only need the one, the one node, because the way it works is because you own, you know, a bit of coin, um, a bit of these Ethereum tokens. Then that's reason enough for you to get the um, the newly generated token. And once that happens, the value of doing a lot of this mining stuff is going to collapse. Because you no longer need the big farms to secure Ethereum. And Ethereum is where a lot of this, a lot of the most egregious bullshit comes from. So, I mean, it would it's good for the environment. But I don't know that it's good for bitcoin <laughs> probably not let's put, let's put like, it that way yeah so you know please 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 stay the fuck away from crypto <laughs> you know yeah. unofficial investment advice totally not professionals here yeah please talk to someone else but if you're you an know. exception you know you either know the score or the two right. genders. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so yeah, that's probably going to be the thing. If not, if another wave of COVID or something else doesn't do it first, that wipes out this really fragile as fuck economy that we're living in. I mean, it's like any port in a storm, but this one is even more volatile than. So this is a so this is Chop Shop Economics this is... signing off. I have become 
by Apocalypse, destroyer of the capitalist world economy. This is HQ! <laughs> this is St. Helen. And Doc Spider. And Miss Silver. Bye-bye! Bye, everyone! Bye-bye.